You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning, and a special welcome to to everyone, uh, especially if you're new. Kids, it's been great to have you here uh, in our service, worshiping alongside of us, but you are welcome to take your place in the gym. I see we've got Suzanne and Gina down here who are ready to lead your kids into a special time, and so if you're new or a visitor and you want to go with them to check them out, you can do that, or if you want to stay here uh, with your kids, that is great too. So uh, uh, we invite you to do that, uh, then you can, and if you don't know where you're going, you can follow Gina and Suzanne out the door there. Um, If you are new or visiting, I I trust that you uh, already this morning have got a sense of who we are. And my hope is that as, as, as you have come through these doors, that you've felt welcomed, because that's what God does. He welcomes people into his, the very center of his life, into his heart. He, he embraces people of all stripes and colors, all backgrounds and, and, and all kinds of life circumstances. He, he loves us all and he welcomes all in. And I trust and hope that you experienced that this morning. But more than that, I hope that you've come to see who we are in terms of, of, of who we believe Jesus to be. We've sung his gospel story this morning. He's changed our lives. And one of the lyrics that caught me this morning was this. I'm not afraid, God, to show you my weakness. My failures, my flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me friend. You see, this is the gospel. Jesus, God didn't, didn't count our sins against us in the sense that, that he wanted to let us live in their darkness forever because that darkness leads to death, separation from him. But God, in our failure, seeing them just as we are, he, he sent his son Jesus in order to take our, our failures, our flaws, our sin upon himself and to break their curse and to reconcile us with the God who made us and loved us. And so, if you're new this morning, or or, or you've been coming to Mission Creek Alliance Church uh, for a long time, I want to say to you that that we can open the fullness of who we are to God. He sees it all anyways. And He loves us. And He sent Jesus so that we might be friends, children of God, no longer enemies, no longer cut off. This is the gospel. It's why we sing. It's who we are, and it's why we love our city, because Jesus loves our city and the people in it. And that's what we're here for, as you know, and so I'm thankful uh, that you are here. Hey, we've been working through uh, the parables uh, in, that Jesus tells uh, in the gospel of Luke. And one of the things that has struck me about the parables is we've been working through these for, for a number of months now is that they both confront and they challenge us. And when we read most of the parables, we're left scratching our heads. I don't know if that's been your experience, but you read the parables and you're like, what? We're left scratching our heads. But I trust that we're left scratching them a little closer to God's heart. 
Today will be no different. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Luke 19, uh, there is a pew Bible in front of you if you want to uh, follow along. Luke is kind of close to the back, so you can kind of flip through uh, and find it that way. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. While they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects heard him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a, plate, in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You, um, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so when I came back, I could have collected with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, sometimes we sit under your word and we're left scratching our head. And so... We pray that your spirit would lead us into all truth. We pray that that you would draw us closer to the heart of God this morning. As we sit under your word, (laughs) give us life. Speak, for your servants are listening. And we pray in your name. Amen. Something doesn't seem right with this parable, does it? (laughs) Verse 27. Bring those enemies of mine who, who did not want me to be king and, and, and kill them. I mean, I mean, what happened to love your enemies, Jesus? <laughs> what on earth is going on here? 
Verse 26, everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Does God want the rich to get richer and the poor to be exploited? That doesn't sound like the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't sound like the kingdom that Jesus came announcing. What's the deal? We hear this parable and and we're left scratching our heads. But that's not where I want to leave you today. Because there are two things that, that we need to set straight in order for us to hear the parable well. The first is that we shouldn't read this parable as an allegory. Do you remember what an allegory is? We need to go all the way back to grade five English class to remember what an allegory is. An allegory is the story that that has the single moral message. And in an allegory, the characters, they represent the true nature of, of someone or something very specific, very defined. And so uh, an example of, of an allegory is the story of the tortoise and the hare. You're likely familiar with it. Arrogant hare mocks tortoise for being slow. And so tortoise challenges hare to a race. And as it begins, hare takes off and, and leaves tortoise in his dust. But then seeing the massive lead, hare stops running. And in this act of mockery, lies down. But in time, hare falls asleep. Tortoise, step by step, slowly overtakes the sleeping hare and wins the race. And here, the hare represents the arrogant and careless. And and the tortoise represents uh, the consistent and diligent. And the moral of the story is that you can be more successful doing things humbly, slowly, and steadily than you can through arrogance and acting quickly and carelessly. You see, this is how allegory works. The characters represent something very defined and specific, and the story has one moral message. But what we need to understand is is that parables aren't pure allegories. And so we shouldn't read them in that way. Which means that when we hear this parable about a returning king who who kills his enemies, we need to understand that, that the king in this parable isn't meant to be a pure representation of Jesus and how he runs his kingdom. We need to understand that. Which brings me to the second thing that helps us hear the parable well. The story that Jesus actually tells here, it actually happened. In 4 BC, uh, which doesn't mean before COVID, we might think that, but 4 BC is roughly 35 years before Jesus spoke these words. In 4 BC, there was this man named Archelaus, And Archelaus took a trip to Rome in order to have the Roman emperor appoint him as king over Judea. But this delegation was sent after Archelaus because they they opposed his appointment to be ruler over that district. In other words, they didn't want him to be king. But sadly for them, the emperor gave Archelaus a title. And he didn't give him the title of of king, but he gave him the title of something along the lines of a magistrate. 
And so when Archelaus returned to the city, he ordered all those who opposed him to be executed. And we actually read about Archelaus in Matthew chapter 2, verses 22. It's just after Jesus, or it's a little after Jesus has been born. And Joseph, his father, is traveling back to the land of Israel because that's what God has asked him to do. And in verse 22 it says, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And now the point is, in Jesus' lifetime, there had been this would-be ruler who went away to be appointed as a king. And there were those who were sent after him who opposed his appointment to the position. And when he returned, he had them executed. And now isn't this exactly the story that Jesus is telling? It's the storyline that Jesus picks up. And therefore, we need to understand that that when Jesus tells this story, he's drawing on a contemporary example in order to say something specific. And so when the people heard this story, the parable that day, when, when he first told it, they would have expected the ending that he gives. We don't expect it, but they would have because they would have known the story. Yet what they didn't expect were some of the other details at work in the story. It's, it's like Jesus has, has added this, this whole other plot line. And that's where I want to focus your attention today. The things that are a surprise. And there are three things to hone in on in, in this parable. And the first is this. The parable that Jesus tells confronts us with the reality that everything you have is a gift from God. Before the nobleman goes away to be appointed as king, he gives ten of his servants one mina each. A mina was a coin that that kind of represented about three months' salary for for a person. So three months' salary. And we're not talking Elon Musk's salary here. We're talking salary like yours and, and, and like mine. This is, you know, a relatively substantial amount of money. It was enough to do something significant with. And the servants, they were instructed to put the money to work until the nobleman returned as the king. And now, a variation of this same parable is told in Luke's gospel. It's in, in Luke chapter 25. And in that story, it actually tells us that that the servants were entrusted with this money. The word entrusted is key. These servants, they don't own the wealth that they're given. They're not owners. They're stewards. They've been entrusted with something that is not inherently their own. And this is how the story begins. And it should cause us to pause and, and make us consider the things that we have in our own life. And so let me ask, how much of what you have is because you've earned it and how much of what you have is because God has gifted it to you? I mean, where do you draw the line between these two things? 
between the things you've earned and the things that are God's gift, his provision? How would you draw the line between the things you've earned and the things that God has provided? Which is which? The material things, like the house or the place you live or the car or the iPhone or a savings account, retirement funds, did you earn them or are they God-given? And how about the immaterial things, your talents, the opportunities you've been afforded, your privilege, salvation? Did you earn these things or were they given to you? I mean, isn't it true that that everything we possess can be tracked back to God? Isn't everything His gift to us. See, at the outset of this parable, we're confronted with something that we read about all throughout the Bible, all throughout, especially in the Psalms. Everything you have is given to you by the grace of God. Everything. You've earned none of it. I've earned none of it. And I wondered, do you believe that? You see, there is this voice inside of each one of us that that really opposes this idea. And so, why don't we just listen to it for just a moment? Because the voice says, wait a minute. I've worked hard for everything that I have. I've been responsible. I've stayed in school. I I got a job. I I did the smart things. and, And so, I've earned the things that I have, whatever they are, big or small. I've earned them. Certainly, some of what I have is because I've earned it. Do you know this inner voice? (laughs) We hear it, maybe even right now. But here's what I think Jesus whispers in response. He says, Keith, if your name's not Keith, he probably doesn't say that to you. (laughs) He says, Keith, you think you've earned all that you have? But just think of how you've earned it. With the mind I've given you and the opportunities I've afforded you and the talents I've knit into you with the privileges I've given you, everything you have can be traced back to a gift that's come straight from my You see, in the final analysis, we we come to realize that that everything that we have, it actually can be traced back to God, everything. It's all grace, both the material and the immaterial. The place we live, the the house, the, the car, the iPhones, the savings account, the land on which we stand, the wisdom, the intellect, the degrees, the ministry gifts, the Holy Spirit, salvation. We own none of it. We are not owners. We are are stewards. And and do do you know what proves that we are stewards and not owners of all things, uh, of everything that we have? There there, there is one final proof. Do you know what proves that that we're only stewards and never owners? (laughs) You ready for this? The definitive proof that we own none of it (laughs) 
the proof is death. We can take nothing with us except for the eternal life that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the owner of everything that we have, even our very breath, as Pastor Michelle shared this morning. And everything that we have has been entrusted to us as stewards. So church, it's worth taking pause right now to look at your own life and consider all that God has given with you. Take a moment right now to to consider all, all that he's given to you, all that he has entrusted to you. What are the material things that come to mind in your life? And what are the immaterial things? Friends, all of this is the mina that God has entrusted to you. And he intends, he intends having entrusted this to you in order for you to do something with it while we wait for the king to return. That's the next thing to notice in the parable. The first thing was everything you have is a gift from God. But second, God wants you to put his gifts to work. He, he wants you to put them to work. In the parable, when the king returns, he, he calls the servants to him, and, and he wants to find out what they have gained with the mina that was entrusted to them. That's in verse 15. And then the first response and says, Master, your mina has earned 10 more. This is amazing. Not simply the, the return on investment. That, that to me is not the amazing point. The amazing point, don't miss this. The amazing point is the servant's perspective. Master, your mina. Your mina has earned 10 more. And so the king congratulates the servant and says, well done. And we know it's not how much that, that this person produces that, that, that's the important part because there's another servant who comes along and says, Master, your mina has earned five more, less than the first. And, and it's not necessarily about how much we produce. But we know that the core of the matter comes in the third servant because the third servant simply returns the single mina and says, here, you can have it back. I tucked it away, and here you can take it back. And the king responds not with congratulations, but with condemnation, and says, you wicked servant. And now, a lot could be said about this third servant's view of the master, (laughs) Uh, but I don't have time to unpack it all. But I want you to notice this. It's almost as though this third servant knew that the king had a claim, not simply on the mina he entrusted to him, but also on the prophets, right? Because he says, I know that you're one who take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. See, in this servant's opinion, the master put in one mina, But for the first servant, he he ended up receiving 10. He put in, but he took out what he didn't put in. 
And maybe the flaw of this third person's thinking was that the master is just going to come and take the prophet anyways, that he has a claim not simply on what he's given me, but also what multiplies. <laughs> the third servant didn't realize that everything he has is a gift from God. He had a warped view of the master. This parable, it confronts us with the reality that, that God actually wants us to put the gifts he has given to work for his good blessing in the world. He wants every blessing to multiply, multiply the blessing because that's how his kingdom works. It's like yeast in dough. Or it's like a tiny mustard seed that grows into a massive tree that, that becomes a refuge and a blessing to the birds that perch in its branches. God entrusts us with good gifts so that we will amplify that blessing in the world. See, church, God wants you to put the things that he has entrusted to you to work, not because he's a taskmaster, not because he doesn't want you to be lazy. This is not the intent. He does it because he actually cares about the world that he made. He, 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 he wants us to live this way because because that's what his kingdom does. It amplifies a blessing. It takes something and, and, and with God's grace makes it into something more. And this principle, I think it, it makes sense to us in, in a real human way, this, this principle that, that when a gift is given, the kind of intent or expectation is, is that the gift is put to good work, right? I mean, we would expect that. If, if we were to give a gift to someone else, we, we have this expectation that, that it would be put to good work. Take, for instance, when you give to the local church. You see, when you entrust your money to the local church, when you give your tithes and offerings, you expect the church to do something good to put the money to, to good work for God's kingdom. You expect the church to amplify the blessing. The pastoral staff, we were discussing kind of giving at MCA Church this week because we're, we're closing in on the final month of our fiscal year. And in our discussion, Pastor Brendan made an important comment that, that relates to the example I'm trying to make here because I'm sharing this because it, uh, it's an example of, of, uh, of, of this point. And Brennan said this, he said, when I give to the church, I'm not looking for a dollar for dollar return on investment, right? Because how can you calculate that? But what I want to know is that it's being put to good use. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. You need to know how your gift is being used. And on this, let me do a quick aside. Let me quickly just say a few things because I don't often talk about this. And it's important for you to know how your gift is being used. Because when you give to MCA Church, it is being used in five important areas. First is missions. The 10% of, of every dollar that is given to this church goes to support overseas missionaries and the work of evangelism in the world, throughout the world. And an additional portion of that on top, it goes, the, the money goes into our district churches to support new ventures, uh, like new church plants across British Columbia. 
we're part of one with lighthouse communities that, that, that Cam and Lee have been giving leadership to. It's where the money goes. As a church, we are committed to missions, both here and abroad. Second, the second area where money goes is into the ministries here at MCA Church. It goes into, into our Sunday school program and, and, and our youth ministry and preteen and discipleship and, and outreach through our, our English ministry, Say the Word. It, it goes into pastoral counseling with people who are hurting, visiting the sick and the lonely, and it goes into Sunday's worship and Word. Your money makes ministry happen here. The third is the area of community engagement and, and, and support. Donations help people who have a real critical need or are in crisis with things like food hampers that we provide, counseling costs that are, that are hard to cover for an individual, especially if, they're, uh, if they have a low income. We provide funeral services at a discount and other basic needs. People who are hurting in our city, money goes to them. Fourth, your donation helps maintain our building <laughs> to pay the heat the lights, the maintenance, the repairs, the cleaning. But, but it's important to know how we use our building because, because we don't just use it for ourselves. Our, our building is one of the greatest assets we, we have to bless people in our city and do ministry. We don't use it simply for ourselves. We help others in our city doing good things to meet the city's need, like the Kelowna's Gospel Mission. They use our kitchen to do their food prep. Our building also helps families in our city who, 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 who are trying to raise their kids through a local daycare, which is a critical need in our city, a local daycare that runs out of our, our, our building, and a homeschool group that provides Christian education to kids throughout the school year. We've also partnered with a nonprofit volleyball program that subsidizes the cost of sport for low-income families. The point is that we use our building to engage the people and the needs of our city in the name of Jesus. And it's important you know that. And fifth, of course, your money supports our staff, our pastors, our support staff. We couldn't do all that we do without these good people taking the lead. And now, I'm saying all of this because Pastor Brendan is right for once. Come on. <laughs> Brendan, it's more than once, it's all the time. <laughs> People should know where their gift is going and that it's being put to good use. But here's the point in the parable. If we feel like our gift should be put to good use, how much more does God feel that way about the gifts he's given us? God wants you to put the gifts he's given you to good work in this world. He wants you to amplify the blessing. And as human beings that, that, that are slightly flawed, <laughs> sometimes more than slightly, we live with this tension when it comes to the things that we have. You see, we can either use the gifts that we've been given to amplify ourselves and our self-interest, or we can use them to amplify God and His interests in the world. Let me give you an example from my own life, not Brendan's life. <laughs> Look, God, God has blessed me with, with, with a great many things. 
a great many material things and a great many immaterial things. But, but two of the immaterial things that stick out for me are, are my quick mind and my quick mouth. <laughs> and I've got to say, these two things came in real handy when I was in high school, especially when it came to a bully named Tyler Crawford. See, he liked to assert his dominance by yelling in the faces of the younger students in order to scare them. <laughs> Teenage boys do stupid things. And well, one day Tyler was rolling with his posse and, and he pulled his stunt on me. Out of the blue, he, he jumped up in my grill and he yelled. And of course, I did what any would have, anyone would have done. I flinched. And in that moment, he pointed in my face, he laughed, and he said mockingly, you're scared of me. And everyone around began to laugh. But without missing a beat, I responded and said, no, Tyler, it's not that. It's your breath. What have you been eating? At which point, everyone around started laughing all the more. You see, what God has given me comes in handy sometimes. But in that moment, was I using these gifts to amplify God or to amplify my own glory? You see, my mind and my mouth are something God has given me, but my whole life I've been faced with this tension between using those gifts either for my glory or for God's. And it's in part why I've become a preacher. It's a sanctified use of my mind and my mouth. It's, it's using a gift for God's glory and not my own. And the point is that we can use our blessing, whether it's money or whether it's stuff or, or our talents, we can either use it to amplify ourselves or to amplify something of God into the world. And so let me ask you, when it comes to the things that you have been entrusted with, who is being amplified? I find it interesting what the king does for those who are faithful with the mina that they received in the parable. Did you notice what the king does for the faithful? This is the final thing I want you to see today. Did you notice their reward? <laughs> the reward for being faithful? It's not more stuff. It's not more wealth. Did you see what it was? It's more responsibility. Verse 17. Well done, my good servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, now take charge of ten cities. Not more money, but more responsibility in the kingdom. More responsibility over other people. More responsibility to use these greater gifts to amplify the life and love of heaven upon the earth. Church, consider this. Everything you have is a gift from God. From the air in your lungs to the head on your shoulders. From the money in your pockets to the shoes on your feet. God has entrusted you with all of this and more so you might put them to work to amplify his kingdom here upon the earth. When he returns, he will ask you what you did with this mina. 
he has given you. And the question remains, how will you answer? How will you answer? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to acknowledge that your words are life. And Jesus, we also want to affirm that the evil one's words are death. And I venture to think that many of us in this room have been living with some lies of the evil one when it comes to our stuff and our money and our talents and, and our free time. That Jesus, we've been living with this lie that, that it's all ours. And so, Jesus, may your words break the chains of the evil one. And that you would take us from, from death to life. That you would uh, bring this great resurrection from, from a self-centered way of seeing our things to, to, to a God-glorified way of using our things for your glory in the and Jesus, we need wisdom because we, we actually don't know fully what that looks like. And, and it looks different in different people's lives because, because we're in different situations. <laughs> and so I pray that you would bestow on us, your people, a great wisdom to go with a great generosity so that we might be part of your great work in this world. And so we turn our whole lives over to you, Jesus. They're yours. Have your way in us, we pray. Amen.